Wrestling.com presents Bound for Glory. We are live tonight. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Post Wrestling's Bound for Glory post show. It's John Pollock, joined by our favorite man, Nate Milton, returning here to the post office because Bound for Glory, there was only one man that I could have on to chat about tonight's show, and what a card we have to discuss. Nate, how are you? What is going on, Brother Pollock? I am doing well. Uh, as you mentioned, my friend, we, we have a lot to get into this evening, but I, I want to let the listeners know. I want to let the postmarks know that I'm not phoning it in tonight. I, I, I came prepared, sir. I, I am drinking an adult beverage uh, out of my Comda martini glass. Oh, I've, don't even start, Nate. They, 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 I, I, I took notes on my Comda notepad, and, and <laughs> I'm even wearing Comda socks, so I'm, I'm ready to go tonight, John. Okay, Nate, you and me are two of the last people that are watching Impact every week. And if you have only last sampled Impact at Slammiversary and you were coming back tonight, you were probably very thrown off by what is Comda.com. I can't tell you what Comda is. I have not checked this I still don't company know. out. I have no idea what it is. No one does. They sell hats or they offer you free hats. But in the lead which up to really this free. show. Which aren't really free. Let, let's, let's not get it twisted because of. Uh, I am somebody who likes free apparel, John Pollock. Uh, I have a good head for, for baseball caps. So uh, when I saw the attire Don West was sporting, I'm like, let me check this out. And uh, yes, the hats are free, but the shipping and handling is most certainly not free, John oh, Pollock. Oh, calm down. Because <laughs> in the last 10 weeks, Josh Matthews has not been able to say the words bound for glory without comda.com presents. Mm-hmm. It you have never seen a title sponsor take such ownership of an event as Comda.com did. I don't know what they paid Impact, but it was – I'm so glad this pay-per-view is over because the the Comda.com breather can take place. God forbid if they've heard about this homecoming event in January. Like They even took over the hashtag on, on Twitter uh, <laughs> for the people that were talking on social media because I used the hashtag Bound for Glory because I'm old school. I like to – put the whole title of the event in my hashtag, but the official hashtag from the good people at Impact was hashtag BFG Comda. So it's it's almost like the sponsor took precedence over the actual event. Well, we have so much to discuss regarding Impact. First of all, let's set up this show in the proper context, and that is their television situation, because it was reported just a couple of days ago, Mike Johnson had this first at PWInsider.com, that Pop TV is going to be moving Impact, effective October the 25th, a week from this Thursday, from an 8 p.m. start time to a 10 p.m. start time. Mm. (laughs) Is there a way, Nate, you can positively spin this in any way? Or is this just bad news for Impact on Pop, moving to a 10 to midnight slot Thursdays? And is it going to uh, negatively affect viewership any more than we've seen over the last three months. Well, you know, I'm a, um, I'm a glass half full kind of guy, John Pollock. And a com- I like dot to com glass half full, right? Yes. Com dot com glass half full. Uh, let's make sure we get those checks paid. Uh, but I, I like to look on the bright side of things, but this does not look good for impact. I think that we've seen ratings slide since Slammiversary. And, and part of that is because of football, uh, both pro and college taking place on Thursday nights. But I think this is a move that is going to stunt any potential growth they could have had coming out of tonight's Bound for Glory show. The only silver lining, I guess, John, would be 
and it's something that we've talked about about you know this company going back to the Spike TV days. The audience for Impact is the audience for Impact. And the people that want to watch the show will watch it whether it comes on Friday nights, Thursday nights, Monday nights, depending on whatever time slot it's in, they will find it and watch it. Uh, so I think, yeah, the ratings will take a bit of a hit, but it's not going to be this precipitous drop because the people that are watching now, they are Impact diehards, and I think they'll follow it two hours later. It's been a very confusing viewership pattern for Impact. I mean, it's a very easy one to see. They had Slammiversary, a show that largely everyone raved about. I would say it's the most positivity Impact has had in years coming yep. off of that show. They did a fine number that Thursday. And then immediately after, once August started, it was this big drop and they've stayed down. And you're right, football has come back. Um, but this drop began in August. And they're also, I was going through the numbers uh, this week. From last year, the same, if you look at the 12 episodes going into Bound for Glory last year versus this year, they're down 16%. And mm. that's going against football last year as well. So I don't have the answer as to where this audience has gone. And now you're seeing drops under 200,000 viewers and a move to a new time slot. I mean, we've seen this this game in the past, Nate, when it comes to impact. Like, moving time slots is not a good sign. And... They announced this week that they've retained uh, a group that's going to be shopping their content rights worldwide. Um, yeah, I, I think it obviously looks at you know what is what is the long term future of Impact on Pop um, if they're moving the time slot, and you have to be wondering are they looking for you know a better position in in at least domestically in the U.S. where this Pop deal it, it's not a very profitable one for the for the no. company. But I, I really I don't have an answer for where why this viewership went down when it seemed like there was a big buzz coming off of Slammiversary and it lasted for one episode. And, well, and the thing to me, John, is, and I don't know all of Pop TV's ratings and, and metrics uh, that they use for their programs, but just looking at their, their schedule, it's a lot of Big Brother, it's a lot of soap operas, a lot of ER, uh, Swedish Dicks, uh, a lot of random shows, and... While Impact is not a ratings juggernaut, it would seem to me that that would probably be one of their most consistent ratings uh, gainers. Uh, so I don't know why the the move to 10 o'clock is prudent from their standpoint, uh, unless they're just tired of having the show and they're trying to shuffle it off. Yeah, I I mean, I don't look at it as a positive sign from Pop. I'm not saying that this means that, that Pop is walking away from them, but I, I think you'd be fooling yourselves to not at least... Look at what is what is the landscape here but between the two. They've been on pop since the beginning of 2016. And, I mean, now you're moving them later in the night, Nate, where, I mean, when you're watching Thursday Night Football, the game isn't wrapping up by 10. So now you're going against the end of football, which to yeah. me is going to make it even harder than now, where at least you're getting a 20, 30-minute jump on the NFL game if you have a hot start to impact. And now you're putting them up against the third or fourth quarter of the game, that to me, that's going to be really hard if you are splitting viewers that typically are NFL viewers that are not going to go out of their way to watch Impact and stay up till midnight on a Thursday night to, to watch this. And I don't know how many of those diehards are. If they miss it Thursday, they're going to go out of their way to to see it again. Like It's, it's a very tough time slot. I was told in, they have not made a decision, at least as of Friday, about what they're going to do in Canada on the Fight Network and uh, Game TV, they are up here in Canada. But um, 
yeah, they will be airing at 8 till 10 this Thursday and then with an immediate replay from 10 till midnight. Uh, but no mention of this change on tonight's pay-per-view. Which is a bad move, in my opinion, because as somebody like I knew about the change just because I'm somebody that's that's you know, into it. And I follow the stuff and I, I listen to shows like yours and, and I read things on the internet, but for the casual TNA fan, rare breed, rare unicorn that they may be, this is something that's going to take them by surprise. And even as somebody that, that watches impact on a regular basis, like myself, I don't know, John, you know, I've, I don't know if, if I'm going to be able to make the commitment to watch this at 10 o'clock, week in and week out you know i I might just skip it and and watch the clips on youtube and see what i like and skip what i don't like you know that that might be my impact viewing habits going forward because as into impact as i have been in the past and have started to get back into uh post slammiversary i don't see myself staying up till midnight to watch uh impact particularly if we get uh more of what uh, we saw in particular spots on tonight's program. Yeah, so the their la- their US television, you know, future is certainly going to be monitored throughout this year. I think ultimately Impact needs a better deal in the US than this Pop TV deal. I mean, this yeah. was one that largely when Destination America fell through, this was a place to land on and it was at a time when the company was in critical condition and if you're going to grow at least in the US you know, you. this is where companies are making money now. It's off of television. So I think Pop TV, it's very difficult for people to find. And, you know, I'm sure that's a big reason of why they're retaining this company now to go get those rights out there and see if professional wrestling can can be able to be an attractive buy for some other broadcasting or streaming service that that's out there. Mm. Because Pop, I never saw as being... It wasn't going to be a long-term fix for this company. This always looked to me to be something temporary before one side or the other moves on. Yeah, and right right now it kind of feels like uh, Pop is is not uh, breaking up with Impact, but they're certainly not returning their text in a timely fashion. So in the actual Impact leading into Bound for Glory, uh, what what was your kind of interest level coming into Bound for Glory? I didn't think that they captured anywhere the level of excitement that they did for Slammiversary, where that felt like the show where so many big programs were culminating. Mm. There was a there was an interest in the Impact product that had not been around for a while. And I can't say they really struck that tone with the programs, the key ones going into this show. But did you have a maybe a different view going into Bound for Glory? No, I had a similar experience. And it's funny because the last time when we got on uh, and talked to Impact, John, uh, after Slammiversary, you know, I kind of joked off the top, uh, about the Avengers and, you know, Sam Jackson, you know, I've got an initiative for you. And this pay-per-view felt like Captain Marvel to me in the sense that I was going to get around to watching Captain Marvel, but I was not enthused about it until the one-two punch of, spoiler alert, the end credit scene of Infinity War and then seeing the trailer. And I was like, okay, this could be something cool. And with Bound for Glory, the storylines leading up to it did not get me hooked at all, uh, except for, you know, maybe the LAX storyline. I, th- I thought that they did that pretty well, uh, except for, you know, poor Richie. But the less said about that, the better. Little Richie made a, a miraculous <laughs> one-week recovery after being struck by a speeding vehicle uh, in the streets of Toronto. <laughs> but uh, I, I, went, I think it was 
a couple of days ago, I went on the Impact YouTube and watched the uh, cold open. Uh, for tonight's and, pay-per-view. Yeah. And I thought that was really well done. And, you know, granted, it wasn't my boy Barry Scott with the deep voice, but seeing uh, Santana and Ortiz out there in New York and and just the production and, and the, the passion behind it, I started to get excited. And so I would say for the last couple of days, I've been pretty amped going into this show and, and going and looking at the card ahead of time. I was like, okay, the storylines might not quite be there, but at least we'll get some good in-ring stuff. And this, you know, open for the show has me excited. So let's, let, let's see uh, what they have to offer. So yeah, I would say I was not excited for maybe the first four or five, six weeks leading up to this, but this week I, I kind of got into it and, and I was excited heading into the show tonight. Magical week seven. <laughs> <laughs> So our show tonight was from the Melrose Ballroom in Queens, New York. This is the venue that MLW has been running and, in fact, just ran it about 10 days ago. So I think the fact that Impact was able to sell this venue out, it's not a gigantic venue. It holds between around, I believe, 900 to 1,000 people. But I do think that was one trickle-down effect of the Slammiversary success. You might not have seen it with viewership on television, but I think that Impact does have a rep now that... You buy tickets, you're probably going to get a really strong show like you got with Slammiversary. And this show at least sold out. That you have to take as a as a small victory. Yeah, and I would say, you know, even though the TV hasn't been great leading up to it, just seeing how the Mexico shows turned out, I thought that, you know, there wasn't this huge buzz. You know, we're, we're not talking WrestleMania level here, but for Impact, they've been on – an upward trend, I would say, you know, in terms of people actually wanting to come out of pocket and, and spend money to see their shows. So our commentators tonight, Don Callis and Josh Matthews, and as Nate mentioned, it opened up with the Santana Ortiz video walking around the city. And this was, uh, you know, juxtaposed with shots of all the main stars and the big programs to the song Coming Home by Slain. And Santana and Ortiz, they did a fabulous job with throughout this show. They they really felt like stars on this show. It should, should have been the main event, but we'll, we'll get there, John Pollock. So Josh Matthews, he introduced us. If you had uh, under 30 seconds for the first com.com mention, <laughs> then, boy, it's going to be a rough morning for you. Hey, at least we didn't get uh, a, a com.com mention in the, in the cold open. I, I can't see Santana and Ortiz walking through the, through the boroughs and just, you know, this is the streets. This is where we come from. We we, we keep it real, like com.com. Uh, so the first matchup featured Rich Swan and Willie Mack making his uh, Impact debut, taking on Matt Seidel and Ethan Page. And Josh Matthews ran through Ethan Page's entire resume, <laughs> omitting his brief run as a understudy to his cousin Joseph Park when he was playing Chandler Park this very year. Chandler Park just does not exist anymore, Nate, in the Impact canon. He's been retconned out of existence. But I'm wondering, uh, you know, you mentioned Joseph Park. Abyss obviously uh, inducted into the Impact Hall of Fame. Did Joseph Park get get uh, such uh, accolades as well, or was that just reserved for his brother? No, but he was thanked. I did watch some of this on Saturday night on Twitch, and he did get a, a, a thank you shout out. But... <laughs> Maybe the the most comical part of the induction speech was, did you see any of this, Nate? 
I haven't seen any of it yet. Well, first of all, Abyss gave a wonderful speech. It is impossible not to be happy for this man. Like a true company guy that killed himself working for yeah. Impact Wrestling. You have to feel great for this guy. So he is just thanking everybody. And he takes a moment and he said, I want to thank Jeff Jarrett and everyone. I'm not going to say everyone because there are people <laughs> in the in that room that are probably uh, dealing with this lawsuit from the man. But it was like a pretty solid uh, applause break for Jeff mm. Jarrett. And then he really tested things, Nate, because the next one was – and I also want to thank Dixie Carter. <laughs> a lot less claps and it was – very noticeable. <laughs> like there were some. Ooh, Joe, Joe <laughs> Chris uh, Abyss. I, I don't know if we're gonna go that far. And <laughs> just seeing the react because it was pretty much the talent that was there. Mm. And you're just scanning the room here, watching them and how they reacted to Dixie Carter. That was the most entertaining part of the Abyss speech. So I'm sure you can watch it on Twitch. It's a he, he had a very nice speech. The man was just so grateful for his wrestling career. I mean, it's a. Uh, you know, and he dedicated this to all the TNA originals, Nate. All the all of the front line. <laughs> I was wondering, would, would they be in attendance uh, at the, at the Hall of Fame induction? No, no, they were all booked. On was the- was Janice in the in the house? Uh, we didn't get a Janice sighting. Oh. Either. no, 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 no Carters, Ethan, Dixie, or Janice were in attendance, or Bob. <laughs> So, uh, match continues here. Uh, Page got in. They got the advantage on Rich Swan for a while, and. First of all, this seemed like a much smaller ring than usual for Impact. Did you notice this, or was this just me? It did. It, it felt, uh, and I couldn't tell whether that was because of the venue or what, but it did feel a little bit more constricted than usual. Yeah, and while they had room on some sides of the ring, at on the side portion, I mean, there was no room in between the apron and the guardrail. Like It yeah. was, like, maximum maybe a foot foot and a half of room that they had it was a very very tight quarters don Callis here brought up uh someone yelling into josh matthews ears to which he responded i still have nightmares from that uh that period of his life mac got the hot tag he was very over with this crowd uh seidel hit this jumping hurricane rana from the mat sending swan off the top into his own hurricane rana to ethan page that was a tremendous sequence Page missed with a head kick to hit Seidel. Mac hit a stunner to Page, then was taken out by Seidel. Swan hit a handspring cutter, the lethal injection, and then followed with the Phoenix Splash, pinning Matt Seidel 12 minutes and 31 seconds. I thought a really good opener. Great introduction for Willie Mac, who was instantly over with his audience. They were chanting, return of the Mac. And the announcers indicated that he is one of Impact's new signings. So it would appear that... Uh, whether he's going to have a, a dual role with Lucha Underground or not, uh, it looks like he will be sticking around in Impact. And this was a really good introduction. I like this match. I've always been a fan of Willie Mack. And I think, you know, him and Rich Swan make a natural pairing. Uh, I liked uh, the teaming of the two. Uh, the only thing I think that would have made this better, and, you know, we heard the uh, Ed Nordholm uh, interview on the uh, David Penzer show uh, this past week. I think the only thing that would have made it better is if Ed had come out of pocket and actually paid Mark Morrison for the use of Return of the Mac. Uh, <laughs> it couldn't have been that expensive because not to throw shade at, at Brother Morrison, but I haven't heard any other songs from him in the prevailing 18 to 20, 25 years since Return of the Mac came out. Uh, so that would have been cool. But he was over. Willie Mac was over. I, I thought that 
you know, him and uh, uh, Rich and Seidel and, and Paige had a good flow going on. I think the crowd, they started to get into it a little bit slowly, but once they were in, they were in uh, for this match. Uh, I enjoyed the finishing sequence. And yeah, Willie Mack, to me, is somebody that just felt at home on his first night in. Um, and judging by the uh, the post-match stuff, I think he's somebody that, that they could do some stuff with here in, in Impact. Yeah, he got on the mic. He pointed to two empty seats in the front row, and the <laughs> loudest fans are going to get the seats. He had he had the worst stuff to have to deliver here. Here's his first night, and he's got to do this com to dot com giveaway for these seats. Uh, Matthews uh, also separately thanked com to dot com on his behalf. And hey, Willie Mack, just tons of charisma. I mean, he really I, I thought was one of the standouts on this show. Not not so much that he had this you know match of the year or anything, but I thought it was a great introduction. He was over to this crowd, and he felt like a nice fresh addition to the impact roster. Yeah. I think he's a guy that, that you can easily slot in at any point in the roster, whether, whether you want him in your X division, whether you want him ultimately to be in that top mix or, or whether you want him and Swan to continue as a tag team. Like I think there are many uses for uh, somebody with the skill set of a Willie Mack. And, and you know, as somebody that uh, has watched him uh, over the years, it, it's good to see him here. And, you know, granted, Impact doesn't have the largest audience, but I think he can be a big fish in a relatively small pond and, you know, really get over here. Yeah, and now you just have to worry about whether uh, he loses a death match to Mil Muertes at Ultima Lucha. However, in Impact, we have learned you can come back from death. <laughs> so uh, I, I'm optimistic here about Willie Mack. I really hope that they see this guy as much more than just a comedy figure and doesn't yeah. just assume a similar role like Grado because he can do so much more than just be comedic. Agreed, agreed. They aired the interview from TMZ this week. Did you follow all this stuff with Johnny Impact and Austin Aries and Taya? I caught it briefly. Like I, I saw it in my peripheral uh, and saw some of the chatter uh, on Twitter, but uh, it wasn't something that, uh, you know, we, we had other uh, pressing issues uh, going on this week here in America, John Pollock. I can imagine. Uh, so, yes, this did not seem uh, like, to be honest, I, I barely caught wind of this story this week. I don't really know how much traction it really got other than uh, Johnny Impact and Taya got on TMZ to address Twitter comments by Austin Aries referring to Taya as, as Husky that they used to try and generate some last-minute buzz. <laughs> and I guess if getting on TMZ is uh, validation, then they achieved that, I guess. We go to the back. Conan has been laid out. Santana and Ortiz are coming into the into the room, and he tells them to go handle business because Eddie Kingston has attacked him. Mm. What would happen? Eli Drake is out for the open challenge. The crowd starts chanting Y2J. <laughs> if, if you thought for a second <laughs> that Chris Jericho was coming in for the Eli Drake open challenge, I don't know what to tell you. He ran down the New York Giants, made fun of their 1-5 record, and the setup to this was that this would be only open to New Yorkers. So who comes out first but Maryland native James Ellsworth. The <laughs> announcers point out that this man is from Maryland, and the crowd knew it too. He says, I'm not from New York, but I was dating a girl from Staten Island. And the audience starts chanting, fuck you, Ellsworth. And then <laughs> Ellsworth knocks Drake with a punch, and they have a quick match that saw Ellsworth 
go for the sweet chin music, hits it, and then is stopped and hit with the gravy train twice by Eli Drake, who pinned him in two minutes and 10 seconds. Uh, we might as well run through this, and then I'll get your thoughts on this this whole segment that we can call it. Drake gets on the mic saying, I wanted a top guy or a Hall of Famer, not garbage. And the Hall of Famer was Abyss, who came out. This wasn't a match. It was just Abyss hitting Drake with a black hole slam. He brought out a table for a choke slam. Drake kicked him low, came off the turnbuckle, got caught, and was put through the table with a choke slam. And this was Abyss's role on the show. You figured he had to get some segment on here. But I'm really curious if... Like, I can't imagine this was the original idea. I imagine they just switched some things around. Maybe Dreamer was going to be in this role. Because this, I don't know. It just came off really weird to me. If this felt, and and it's funny that you bring up Dreamer, because I was uh, talking to somebody on Twitter uh, during the early part of the show. And, you know, the comment came up that this felt very much like an old ECW show. And I think the first part of this uh, pay-per-view did where we had just kind of random events and random segments and random matches. And this was like your nine one one part of an ECW show. Uh, it wasn't terrible, but I think all things considered, this is something I would have, I would have just put on TV. Like it didn't need to take up time on this show. Yeah. You got to get abyss out here somehow, but I thought this was a waste of Abyss, a waste of Eli Drake. I don't know, maybe even a waste of James Ellsworth. I thought that, you know, it, it was cute, but it, it certainly wasn't, you know, a highlight. It's, it's not a moment that people are going to be talking about past this week. See, when they would do this kind of thing in ECW, Paul would always bring in somebody, you know, that was a cast off from WWF, for instance, and he'd come in. But his role was not to be put over. It was to put over the ECW guy. And you do that with Drake. But that is only setting up Drake onto the platter for Abyss to come out and shine over Eli Drake. So you kind of just negated whatever positive there was for Drake, who I thought was really great in the segment on the mic with Ellsworth. Like, the guy's very quick on his feet. Uh, Very good talker. Uh, I just think that Abyss could have had his, his cameo somewhere else on this and not necessarily with Eli Drake. So I, I didn't really see the point of this at all. I, I didn't think it really helped anyone other than you got your little pop for abyss, which I think could have been reserved elsewhere. Yeah. And, and like you said, it really didn't help Eli Drake, who a is the future out of the three guys in this segment. Eli Drake is the future, the guy that you're going to have stock in going forward uh, in impact, but also to me, Eli Drake is somebody, you know, who was a future world champ or former world champion. He is somebody that should have had a legitimate match on this show and not just kind of this comedy segment. Like, I understand the connection they've developed between Eddie Edwards and Tommy Dreamer, but I don't think it would have been that out of left field to have flipped those roles that Dreamer could have been the sacrificial lamb for Eli Drake. He's the New Yorker. He gets the same pop Abyss does. And yeah. then later in the show, you know, we've established that Dreamer was taken out by Eli Drake. He's not around. And Eddie Edwards needs a partner. And it's Abyss to come out for the big pop. And the team won. And I think you could have accomplished all of this. And Abyss gets a nice role on this pay-per-view coming off the Hall of Fame. And you pair Abyss with Eddie Edwards. I don't think it would have been that difficult a connection to make. That Eddie Edwards is this guy who's lost his mind. Of course he would be 
on the same page as Abyss. Yep. Tessa Blanchard and Taya Valkyrie for the knockouts title was next. Josh Matthews compared Blanchard to Lindsey Vaughn <laughs> and Amanda Nunez. And then Don Callis said he would want his daughter to be just like Tessa Blanchard. They were really hitting this, this female role model, Tessa Blanchard. Valkyrie hit a spear in the beginning, and then Blanchard just retreated to the floor and then snapped Taya's neck on the apron with a neck breaker. Uh, then there were several attempts at the buzzsaw DDT that Blanchard uses as her finisher that were blocked. And then Taya was going for her finish, the road to Valhalla, and Blanchard stopped that. So Taya then caught her coming off the top with this very awkward looking choke slam where I thought that uh, Tessa had just slammed the back of her head and might have had a concussion from this. This looked very, this was kind of the only kind of blip in this match, but she appeared to be fine. She came back. Uh, Taya hit a top rope moonsault for a near fall and then went for a Fujiwara armbar that was broken. There were several rope breaks here and Blanchard then grabs the ring skirt and Taya is able to pull her into the ring. The ring skirt is still on the canvas. So the referee goes to fix it while the road to Valhalla was hit and Blanchard is pinned, but it's delayed because of the referee being distracted. So she's able to kick out of that. Taya then missed Blanchard, ran shoulder first into the post, followed by the buzzsaw DDT and this outstanding near fall. I think everyone thought this was the finish. Yep. And then Taya is sent into the turnbuckle. Blanchard comes off the top with a flying code breaker, which is the MX uh, that Bushi uses in New Japan and wins this match 10 minutes and 37 seconds. I thought this was a really good match. Um, I, I thought these women had some great sequences. The near falls worked. They didn't overdo them either. And I went into this with like decent expectations for this match. They were definitely met and exceeded. This match was much better than I thought it could be. I was not overly enthused with the build to this, which basically was Taya showing up on the video screen in Mexico and uh, challenging Tessa to the match. So it it wasn't like we had this deep storyline behind it. And so I was thinking, you know, it'll be a cool match. It'll 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 be what it is. But to see them go out there and, and put this match on, which started, you know, kind of slow. But then once it got into gear and we got into the near fall sequences, I thought both women uh, did an excellent job. I am continually impressed by Tessa Blanchard. Like, I think she is somebody that, you know, not only can you build this women's division around, but, you know, she can be one of the faces of the company. Like, I think she's that good in the ring. She's that good on the mic. She's got that personality. She's got the look. Uh, and so, yeah, I thought this was a, a, a good showcase for both women. And, uh, you know, I'm glad that they didn't uh, – pull the trigger and switch the title because I think Tessa's just now starting to gain some momentum in the company. I agree. I think she's been one of the biggest positives for impact programming this year. And the only concern I have is I don't know how much longer you can keep her a heel. Like there's mm. nothing to boo this woman over. Yeah. Like she just comes out. She's, she wins her matches and she's confident. She's presented as like the role model. The announcers are pushing her as. So I think ultimately that will be her role. But if you go back to her debut to now, she is definitely to me been one of the standouts this year on the show. She's, I, I just think a great personality. She's done very well in impact. And she does one of my favorite small things in wrestling. And it's something Jeff Hardy used to do and still does is when the wrestler comes out singing to his or her own theme song. Like, they're just so 
enthralled with their own theme. Like, damn, my song is a banger. Like, she just comes out rapping her own lyrics, and it's like, okay, like that that doesn't fit the character that they're portraying right now, but I just love that, you know, she enjoys her theme music that much that she has to sing along to it, not only entering the ring, but also after she wins. So that's how Billy Gunn could have endeared himself to Nate Milton if he had learned the lyrics to Ass Man. <laughs> Mackenzie Mitchell interviewed the mm. most interesting individual on Impact these days, Moose, who of late has started wearing this traditional African attire. And he noted that he is now the king. Mackenzie is his queen. <laughs> and I believe mentioned that he has gotten uh, Mackenzie uh, her own clothes that are, are on their way. So Moose just seems to be having fun with this heel character and, yes. and finding direction for it. I mean, some hits and some misses, but the guy seems like he's having a great time as this character. Yeah, it, it's a bit of a mixed bag with Moose because I think he's he's having fun with this. And then, you know, we had some subtle notes of a bit of a coming to America uh, type of deal with the promo tonight. But and we'll talk about it more when we get to the main event, John. I still think that this is not the role Moose should be in right now. Uh, even though, you know, he's doing a great job with the heel role, I think Moose should have been in the in the role that uh, Johnny Impact was in tonight. I think that if you were going to have him as the Aries lackey, this should have been his introductory role and not going backwards. Mm. He's gone from failed championship challenger to yep. the lackey because you could keep him in this role and over time build that tension, just the Triple H Batista story. Yeah. Uh, instead, going backwards, I think that's a it's difficult because you've taken this guy who was so you had such a big build to slam anniversary for his title chase, and he failed. And now he's just gone to take himself out of any championship consideration, and he's backing the guy that beat him. It's a tough role um, for him. That I, I agree. I think Moose has a lot of upside. Um, it's just kind of the the timing of it all. I mean, you just look at the reaction. Like, not that Johnny Impact was not over tonight, but compare his reaction uh, from the crowd to the reaction Moose got. Uh, Back at Slammiversary. Oh, I think it's night and day in terms of the... Like, tonight's match to me, this did not feel like your biggest title match of the year at nope. Bound for Glory. Nowhere near what the Moose match felt like at Slammiversary. I'm with you. I, I didn't... Like, Johnny Impact is the top babyface. It just doesn't click for me. Not in this company. So, Moose comes out for his match with Eddie Edwards. He's accompanied by three women. The match starts, and Edwards lands the Boston knee party, goes to the floor... And I thought this was Loki attacking him, but it was Killer Cross <laughs> dressed as Baron Corbin from the crowd. And the bell gets called. We get a DQ in 47 seconds. So coming out to save Eddie Edwards, it's Tommy Dreamer out here for his protege. He attacks Moose and Cross, cuts a fiery Tommy Dreamer promo, challenging them to a fight. And we begin our tag match, our impromptu tag match, Nate. And Tommy Dreamer, he fully in involved himself in the marketing of this show by <laughs> grabbing a comda.com water bottle, <laughs> drinking from the water bottle, and then spitting the water from his mouth into Eddie Edwards' mouth, who then spit it into Moose's face. <laughs> this was gross. And I still have that Frankie Kazarian hangman page spit in mm. one another's mouth spot still lodged somewhere in my brain. But this was up there with that. 
Yeah, to me, this is just slightly less disgusting than the uh, Sammy Callahan spit spot. Yeah, you could rank these spit spots, but this was this was definitely gross, and I no longer wanted to see these two men win this match. <laughs> uh, we had from the New York Giants, uh, Jalen Ware. Were you aware of Jalen Ware? Because it didn't seem that Josh Matthews was at first when this big spot occurred, which had nothing to do with the match. There was nothing beyond yeah. a shove spot, and then it was forgotten, and they never came back to this, so I don't even know why we had it. No, I like and and I am a king of sport, John Pollock, but I had no idea who this dude was. And if you're going to get a New York athlete, uh granted he's he's not a jet anymore, but he's got history with the company. Why not just call up Bart Scott? See see what he's doing this weekend. Yeah, they, I have no New York Jets knowledge, Nate. So out, outside of Vinny Testaverde, I don't think I have any uh comparable uh, comparisons. What, you don't you don't remember Bart Scott from that great uh, angle, no pun intended, where he was the enforcer at the Kurt Angle or the Jeff Jarrett Karen Angle wedding. Oh God, you're you're really stressed. You're asking me to go back to like 2010, 2011 <laughs> Impact. Not a prayer, Nate. I'm sorry. <laughs> so anyway, we never went back to this. People were comparing this to uh, another former New York Giant shoving a uh, wrestler in Lawrence Taylor. Mm. Don't think this is building to a WrestleMania main event. So Killer Cross, uh, you know, he was in here. They used a belt for to choke one another. Dreamer hit Cross with a low blow and a cutter, and then Cross stopped Dreamer from using the kendo stick and hit his doomsday Saito suplex. Moose then missed with a kendo stick shot. Edwards ducked, rolled him up, and pinned Moose in eight minutes and 40 seconds. And before you could even say, oh, look who won. They just destroyed <laughs> Edwards and Dreamer. Uh, Dreamer was beaten down. Edwards took a apron bomb. It was it was like we'll have you guys win, and then it will immediately uh, have the heels get their heat back. This didn't work for me at all. I just I didn't get into it. This wasn't a match, the singles match. I was really looking forward to that much either. Just didn't mm. have a lot of emphasis. And turning into the tag, it almost felt like they didn't care about it because we just had a. You know, a stalemate at the end of this. There was nothing gained by the win, and we just did the angle afterwards. So, I, I don't know. It just didn't really work for me. It's another problem with the Moose heel turn. Uh, now that we're kind of going back and, and talking about this match, in that, to me, one of the biggest components of what made the Eddie Edwards story so compelling going into Slammiversary was Alicia. And you had the story when when Moose came back to help Eddie that apparently like all three of them were were really good friends. And I think outside of one angle on impact or maybe maybe it was a couple a couple times that uh, Moose interacted with Alicia. We didn't really go back to that story. And so it feels like you you told me that there was this deep friendship, but it doesn't seem that deep. And so because it doesn't seem that deep, I'm not as emotionally connected to this story as I was to the uh, Eddie Edwards story when he was fighting Sammy and he accidentally hit his wife. Yeah. And we also had Edwards acknowledge that he didn't check in on Moose when he was in the hospital. Yeah. So I kind of side with Moose. It's like, <laughs> yeah, this guy got a concussion and you didn't even have the, the decency to text your, your good friend. <laughs> I'm siding with Moose here. He should be upset. <laughs> I will say, though, John, to, to give a, a positive point to, to this match, uh, Tommy Dreamer in New York always works. You know, he's given those passionate 
promos. Like I think he can do that until uh, the day he's no longer uh, on this earth. I think he can cut that Tommy Dreamer promo. He will always be over in New York. I would say anywhere in the Northeast. He he can do this forever. I just think that it, when he does a match, there should be a reason for it. And yeah. this one just felt like, well, we just need something for a pop, so we'll throw out Dreamer. Um, and it just it, it didn't feel as important as as say what they did with him at Slammiversary, for instance. Uh, Sammy Callahan and OVE, they cut a promo. They said they were going to steal the show, and they took all the credit, Nate, for the buy rates and the ratings, which I don't know if this week would be the week to be taking ownership of the ratings. I was I was waiting for the uh, Conda.com drop from OVE. That, that's the only thing that would have set it over the top. Yes. Say that Ohio is sick of these 8 p.m. start times. We're in the... Uh, we're, we're, we want to move it up to 10 p.m., and that's what uh, that's what Ohio wants. <laughs> Brian Cage, Pentagon Jr., and Phoenix took on Sammy Callahan and OVE in an OVE rules match, which means no rules. Just a, a wild, uh, wild tag match. Cage came out, and his left thigh was all taped up. This looked like no fun. Uh, Phoenix was in with Jake Crist, and... I thought Phoenix was the star of this match. He mm. just flowed with, especially Jake Crist, but with everybody, really. Uh, he hit this handspring off the ropes into a flying headbutt, which I don't even know if that's what he intended, but it looked great. Uh, Jake went for a somersault off the apron, was caught by Cage in the vertical suplex position, but he was able to avoid that. Uh, there were just so many uh, different spots throughout this. Callahan tossed Cage to the floor and then turned it into, turned around into a flying cutter by Phoenix, who leaped off of the ramp into the ring. Uh, there was a kick out by a Pentagon driver after Jake broke it up onto uh, Dave Crist. Phoenix then stood on top of Pentagon's shoulders. This was the most ambitious spot yeah. of the match. And Jake leaped off the top for a cutter to Phoenix off of Pentagon's shoulders, but he couldn't land it. And we got a very rare you fucked up chant among uh, wrestling crowds in 2018. And this wasn't the whole building. It was only a select few people, uh, but it was there. And yeah, this spot was, um, you know, I'm sure in their heads, they figured they could pull it off, but this, this was really ambitious to try. It was, but I, you know, again, everything else in this match was pulled off well and, and executed well. And so I, while they didn't hit it, I can't, really hold that against them too much that, you know, they were out here trying for something cool and something that, you know, people would be talking about. No, the audience was into everything here. The final two to three minutes was the passion of the cage where they just beat this poor man down to near death. They hit the all seeing eye, which is the cutter off of the shoulders. He kicks out for a huge reaction. Then cage gets obliterated with kicks. This was like a, a mob shootout onto a victim and he just kept standing. And finally Callahan hits a pile driver and the reaction when he pinned cage, this audience was stunned. They thought the undertaker just lost his streak at WrestleMania <laughs> by this reaction. I couldn't believe how shocked they were that Brian cage lost this, but I think that's a credit to how they protected cage 1327. And, you know, I went into this thinking maybe Cage is going to get a solid win and he'll be Aries' next challenger. I could not have been more wrong. Mm. And it looks like the program will be Sammy Callahan, who is now the first person to pin Cage in Impact. And that can spin off as, I guess, an X Division title program. Um, but that seems to be where they come out of this. So overall, this was a very good match. And in particular, I thought Phoenix was excellent uh, in this match. One of the best performers on the entire show. 
No doubt. Uh, a couple things here with this match, John. Number one, uh, I thought this was a really, really fun uh, matchup here. I thought that, you know, th- while they missed that one spot, everything else just flowed really well. Uh, I like I liked that they pinned Cage. Um, I like that, you know, it took all three of them to get Cage down because it kept them strong. And you're right. You know, I was shocked that Cage was pinned because they have done such an effective job of building him up. Uh, the one thing, though, that that I don't know, John, it's it's a it, I, I wouldn't go as far as to say it's a moral conundrum or a crisis of faith, but it's something that did occur to me uh, watching this match. And Anybody that's heard me talk about the Young Bucks know that I'm, I can be hot and cold on the Bucks. Like, I respect them. I, I, I love the hustle. But sometimes the matches don't connect for me. But I love the Lucha Brothers. And you could argue that they're just as spot-festy as the Young Bucks. And so I'm, I'm wondering, John, like, what is it about the Lucha Brothers that, that attracts me that might not hook me so much with the Young Bucks? Well, first of all, I definitely encourage you to watch more of the, some of the Bucks stuff over the past year with the IWGP Junior Heavyweight Tag Titles. Where mm. I mean, they've they've really toned back like so much of it. It's it's all selling, like especially Matt Jackson that they're doing such different matches than I think they're often associated with. But I think the key with, with Pentagon Junior and Ray Phoenix is that. I think that the charisma is through the roof, in particular of Pentagon. I mean, it's just a rabid audience that he typically is in front of. I mean, he's just – his charisma is incredible, uh, whether you're there live and it, and it comes through the screen. And I think that when you have the right style uh, for Pentagon, which I think that OVE and Sammy Callahan lend to him, that's when he shines the best. Like, not in these – uh, putting him in these high flying matches like that's that's Phoenix's forte, but mm. Pentagon, especially when you put him in, and I think Lucha Underground and Impact understand that in like brawls and these like hardcore style matches, like he has such a unique flavor for those types of matches that that is where he really shines through and comes up with to me a lot of different creative stuff. I didn't I didn't think this was at the level of. Uh, the match at Slammiversary, but I no. thought it was still really good. And that was kind of my feeling on a lot of tonight's show is that I had Slammiversary as my comparison, and, and I just felt a lot of the same performers in different scenarios, it wasn't at the same level. Um, and, and I didn't think this show came near Slammiversary overall. No, and we, you know we'll, we'll talk about it at the end of the show, but I think... You know, everything on this program was, for the, well, for the most part. I'm not going to say everything because there, there, there is a segment coming up that I have thoughts about. But for the most part, I think things were fine. Uh, you know, if, if this were a test, they passed the test. Did they get an A? No. But when you compare it to Slammiversary, that to me is still one of my top to bottom favorite shows of the year. And this did not uh, approach that. Uh, by the way, Nate, I ordered this tonight on, on Fight. And this came out to, with the, uh, in Canadian dollars, this came out to $53 for this show. Mm. I was like, this is nuts. This is nuts <laughs> that I'm spending $53 on a three-hour impact pay-per-view. Like, the economics of this just make no sense to me. And then you didn't even get any uh, free Conda.com swag. I got nothing. <laughs> After this match. Uh, so, overall, I think that they are going in a, 
interesting direction with Brian Cage, Sammy Callahan. I'm looking forward to that program. And yeah, I did like this match. I mean, it was one of the better ones on the show. Mackenzie Mitchell then interviewed Austin Aries about this last week with Johnny Impact. And Aries cut a very serious promo. There were no bananas. There were no jokes. He said he returned to this company. And let's be honest, this company was on life support. He (laughs) won the title. He busted his ass to improve the reputation of the company and the title. And he's done a very good job. Johnny Impact was off doing reality shows, tending to injuries and getting married. And then he waltzed back to, he waltzed back in here as Johnny come lately. And he doesn't think that this title means as much to Johnny Impact as it does to himself. Aries doesn't trust Johnny. He doesn't trust Impact Management, which should be your, your telltale sign of tonight's finish. <laughs> and he wants Taya to be at ringside tonight when he exposes Johnny Impact. I hope he was not threatening this literally. <laughs> live pay-per-view. And he ended by stating, this isn't a reality show. This isn't a shitty B-movie. This is my life. And he held up the title. A great promo from Austin Aries. And that, I failed to mention, in the build-up to Bound for Glory, I think Aries' promos have been really strong. Yeah, Austin Aries, to me, is somebody that I've been a fan of for a long time. Uh, You know, I think this company... Uh, owes a lot to Austin Aries. You know, maybe not financially or, or ratings-wise, but in terms of being able to tell effective stories, Austin Aries, to me, has been somebody over the years that they can rely on. You know, whether you go all the way back to the Option C storyline or whether you talk about, you know, the feud with uh, Alberto El Patron, which had its own unique set of circumstances around it, or, you know, the feud with uh, Pentagon. Like, I think Austin Aries is somebody that is dependable in the ring, dependable on the mic, and, you know, he, he makes a good champion for this company. I agree. I agree. I thought going into this show, they shouldn't be taking the title off of him. Eddie Kingston met with Homicide and Hernandez. He said, this is their city. Rudy Giuliani wasn't their mayor. (laughs) He was cleaning up the streets for them. (laughs) The other people. Giuliani, not not Kingston's mayor. I guess that makes Kingston a Democrat. I guess so. But maybe maybe he's part of the Green Party. Who knows? Yeah, we don't know Kingston's leanings. (laughs) So the Concrete Jungle Deathmatch was next. I was with you. Going into this, this felt like the most pushed program on Impact that I thought, and given the way they had to disassemble the ring, I thought there was a really good chance you could go off the show with this and really solidifying Santana and Ortiz as, yes, they're our tag champions, but they're as much a main event act as Austin Aries is. I, I guess the way this was set up, I can understand why they didn't, but I think you could have at least made the argument ahead of time that maybe you do go off the air with this. Yeah, well, I was going to say, especially, you know, hindsight being 2020, going by the crowd reaction to the finish of this match versus the finish of the main event, they were definitely more uh, into the finish of the tag match, I think. So the canvas has been removed. So you just see the, the floorboards in the ring. The turnbuckle pads have been taken down. So I thought it was a cool visual. I, I like different. And yeah, shout, out, shout out to the ring crew for being able to take this down and then put it back up uh, in, in a fairly quick manner. It was, you know, very quick because they did have the produced segment after this. So that gave them some time, some needed time to get the ring all together. But yeah, there were no hiccups. There was no dead time to try and kill time while the ring crew worked on this. They got it down and up in relatively quick fashion that it wasn't noticeable on the pay-per-view of any lag. So... Bodega Bams and the Tan Boys played out 
LAX, dedicating this for Conan, who is backstage selling his injury. And I can say that this was the best entrance on the show, and LAX felt really big here. Whether you enjoy uh, Bodega Bams and the <laughs> Tan Boys or not, I will admit I've never heard of them. Have you, yeah. Nate? I, I have not, uh, but this, this I, I thought this make... was a great entrance. This yeah. stuff isn't done enough in wrestling, and it's more. It's not even about the the song or the music. It's about the image and the perception. Yes. It made Santana and Ortiz feel like stars coming out, and I really enjoyed it for that reason. Yeah, like one of my favorite moments in TNA slash Impact history is when uh, AJ Styles had uh, Grits do a remix to his theme song, and they performed it one night and brought him out to the ring. And I was like, you know what? That works. Even though AJ, as we've seen recently on the Mixed Match Challenge, does not have the greatest uh, dance moves, uh, it, it was cool to see him with this recording act. Uh, and, and so that was how I felt about LAX tonight. Like, I think even though they weren't singing the LAX theme song, whatever song it was that uh, uh, Bodega Bams and the Tan Boys were singing, I think it was like, I'm from here or I'm right here or something here. Uh, it, it worked and it like, it felt, it felt, <laughs> it felt like a bigger deal. You know, it felt like, like almost like, I don't want to go as far as to say a boxing entrance, but maybe a boxing entrance. Cause you had the entourage. Yeah. And the you had the nice touch as opposed to just, you know, one guy playing yep. these guys out. Like it felt like, man, these guys are a big deal. So. You had the entourage, you had the, the, the flags. And the, again, this is another point in the column of why I think this could have been your main event tonight because it felt special. Whereas with your main event, yeah, yeah, Aries is great and, and Impact's great, but they didn't do anything extra, in my opinion, to make their entrances feel special. And this was also the end of a feud uh, yep. that I don't think we saw the end of in the main event. That's still to come. So the boards are moving all over the place. And I've got to say that this could have been a disaster just with some of the, the setup here, it looked incredibly dangerous at times through certain things. Hernandez got cut open. Uh, it looked on the top of his head almost immediately. Uh, Kingston dropped Santana onto the boards, and Santana just yelled, you're going to have to fucking kill me at Kingston. Uh, Kingston then attempted a suicide dive, which was the literal description of this because he went face first into the guardrail and went down. Then Hernandez lifted Homicide and border-tossed him to the floor mm. onto Santana and Ortiz. Uh, and then LAX lifts up Hernandez for a superplex that the audience went nuts for. This was the big spot, and this is right onto the boards. Kingston yelled Ortiz was done and was getting set to finish him when Conan's music played. He comes out, and Conan's got a slapjack, and he starts attacking uh, Hernandez and Homicide with it sends Kingston through a table in the corner, which was greatly assisted by Kingston. And then LAX hit the street sweeper to Kingston, pinning him at 928. I thought definitely the right call with Conan. Like, I I know that he is teased doing a match with Vampiro down the road. I think that's going to be very tough for him to do any kind of singles match. And I don't know how you could have done this match with him other than the way they booked this, which was the perfect way. Just get him involved for the finish, the big pop as he comes out from the back. So they they worked around the limitations of Conan. And yeah, LAX gets the win. Really smart booking. I, I enjoyed the, the Conan running at the end. I thought that, you know, 
just the fact that we had this configuration of the ring made everything seem more painful, made everything feel more visceral. Uh, you know, even something as simple as a suplex. I, like, I There were points during the match, John, where I, I literally felt myself tensing up uh, because, like, I, I know that that must have hurt for those guys. And so, yeah, I thought that, you know, this is a match that you can't do all the time. It's a blow off to a feud, which is, again, why I thought, you know, you could have closed out the show with this. But it, it did what it needed to do. I thought that, you know, it put over Ortiz and Santana between that and the the opening of the pay-per-view with just them walking around New York, like I I really felt that out of all of the people on the show, you know, in terms of where they were in impact versus where they were coming out of the show, other than Willie Mack, like I think uh LAX came across as the biggest stars, you know, in, in terms of how they were elevated by Bound for Glory. I agree. They really put a lot of emphasis on them. I think on this show like you get that sense of the ones that they have earmarked as their stars: LAX, Tessa Blanchard, yep. Brian Cage, um, you know, Sammy Callahan to a degree, and I guess Johnny Impact. You have to put in that mix as well as kind of the ones you can see that they have designated as their their big stars. But I think LAX were that they felt like it coming off of this show. So I thought it was a a good performance, and you're right. The stipulation match. I mean, as you're watching this match, you could see a lot of potential for error and just this could have been a mess but the guys seemed to make it work and they also avoided the trap of this blow off we've got to make it 20 minutes of mm-hmm. violence and people are just numb to it instead they kept it, it they kept it compact they did several spots it was a superplex that was the big spot they built to the live audience probably could appreciate the bumps a lot more onto the wood than someone watching at home but it's i, I thought this was Less was more for this kind of a match. Yeah, and uh, shout out to Hernandez and Homicide, the the original LAX, for not only this match, but also the Slammiversary match. Like, I think this little return that they've had with Kingston has not only helped out uh, the new LAX, but it's helped Kingston. And, you know, it's, it's helped uh, the OGs as well. So I, I thought everybody benefited from this feud. Yeah, a great call. They don't get a lot of focus in this feud that they should, that they've been, you know, all business in this, helping to make Santana and Ortiz. And really, the promo work of Conan and Kingston was excellent going yeah. into this match. Uh, that kind of overcame the the hit and run angle for me, and I love the you know you talk about the uh, the hit and run angle that was a bit of a miss, but I I love the uh, where the was Cal- Richie at the end of all this? He should have run out. Oh, yeah, Richie should have came out. Yeah, that would have been great. But I, I I think my favorite part of the angle was when Conan and Kingston had to go to the council. Oh like, my god, just that the was- absurdity of that. Oh. And one of them was Ricky Johnson, uh, <laughs> Dwayne Johnson's uncle, now old retired crime boss, uh, <laughs> issuing a ceasefire. I mean, just the campiest segment on <laughs> here. No, I take that back because we have this next segment coming mm. up. So, Allie made a deal with Father Jim Mitchell. Somehow she has lost her soul. And this is all a pre-produced segment. She meets with Father Jim Mitchell and he is going to be able to get her into the undead realm where she will be able to save Kira Hogan, who was placed into a casket and therefore is under the spell and under hostage to Sue Young and the undead bridesmaids. So Allie is sent into the undead realm by Jim Mitchell. <laughs> 
She makes it to the chapel, and Allie fights off one of the undead bridesmaids with her trusty axe and apparently murders this woman, although it is an undead bridesmaid, so maybe she cannot be killed. As we learned later, we would get an answer to that. But she, like this was total like Bruce Campbell-level horror <laughs> scene where she uses the axe and the blood just spills, spits all over Allie. It looks completely ridiculous. She finds Kira Hogan in a casket, and then Sue Young appears in the chapel with a larger axe, and they start fighting. Young also has her aluminum bat. Allie stops Young from stabbing her, and she says, No, Sue, it's your time, and stabs <laughs> Sue in the throat. She shanks her. She goes to rescue Hogan, but they're not able to leave, as Jim Mitchell laughs maniacally that he only promised to send her into the undead realm, not out of it. So then the undead bridesmaids return undead. And then who should come to their savior? <laughs> Rosemary makes her big return into the undead realm as Sue Young regenerates and starts fighting with Rosemary where we had like <laughs> balls of electricity Allie and Hogan are forced back into the regular realm by Rosemary. <laughs> we get back. Allie wants to go back to save Rosemary. Kira's talking her out of it. And then Allie has a demonic voice to signal that the evil has consumed her soul. This was among the stupidest <laughs> things I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> I have seen all of the Hardy stuff. Yeah. I have seen way too much Lucha Underground. This was another level of just... This was not the good kind of stupidity. And didn't... Uh, was it Callus that immediately after this was like, what the hell was that? He did not sell this at all. <laughs> this was not a home run. This was a swing and a miss. And to me, it was a production crew that was attempting to recreate something yeah. that somehow found a way to work with the Hardys that lacked all of the charm this time around and was just too stupid. And I cannot, I cannot imagine what this was like watching it live at the Melrose ballroom. This was not short either. This was like six, seven minutes. Yeah. And and the thing is, they've been able to do this without the Hardys. I think, you know, it was the, uh, the last time we had an abyss Joseph Park thing where Father Jim Mitchell, uh, ironically enough, was involved with that. So, like, they can get creative. But this just felt like they were trying too hard and you had the effects that looked like I needed some Comda.com 3D glasses to fully appreciate the scenery. Uh, the only good thing to me, John Pollock, was seeing Rosemary uh, back. And it, it, this felt very much like if I, you know, I'm, I'm getting off from work. I'm, you know, I just did a football game. I'm coming home. And I come home and somebody's kicked in my front door. Uh, they stepped all over the flowers in the front lawn. Uh, they've thrown dirty dishes all over the kitchen. Uh, they've, they've, they've thrown clothes from the laundry basket on the floor. And I'm walking around seeing all this. Very tame burglars in Virginia. It's like, <laughs> let's go screw with this guy's laundry. It's the riot squad. That's what they do. <laughs> uh, and it's like I'm walking through the house seeing all this stuff, and I'm, I'm like, what, what the hell is going on here? And then I turn around, 
and sitting on the couch is Wei Ting. It's like, okay, 80% of this was, was, was some old bullshit, but 20% is great. And I see my friend that I haven't seen in a while and I'm happy. And that's how I felt with this. Like 80% of this, I did not enjoy at all, but seeing Rosemary back and knowing the potential that they could have with that character doing this kind of stuff, I, I was happy to see her back because I think she's somebody that that, uh, you know, not a lot of people make a difference in this company, uh, unfortunately. But I think in terms of storytelling, Rosemary is one of those people that kind of jump off the screen. So it was good to see her back. Yeah, I can't say I'm coming out of this with high hopes of seeing this continue. <laughs> um, part of me wants to see Kira Hogan play all of us viewers at home that <laughs> she just calls us out for like, what the fuck is going on here? Like she doesn't sell any of it. She's I did just baffled like all of us that she's stuck in this story. I loved how she was kind of like a uh, stereotypical black girl in the horror movies. Like, girl, we got to get out of here. Like, what, what the hell are you doing? And uh, Allie just is luring her into this foolishness. But I will say one thing, John, if, if we can be positive for a moment, mm. you, you mentioned the broken hearties. And the very first thing we saw from them was the much maligned contract signing. That's and true. It got, it got better. So, I'm hoping that maybe this was their contract signing and it gets better, but I, I don't have a whole lot of hope and, and faith in that. Yeah, we'll see. And I can't even put my finger on it. Like this was, I don't know. I, I think I really appreciate some of the, and believe me, the Hardy segments were not all home runs either. And I think no. by the end, when they did the whole episode, it was too much. It was too much by the end that it was, you know, they had it. You know, it's shelf life and the charm. And the charm to me was the key. That's it, yeah. That it was a wink towards the audience. Like, we know this is silly. Yes. And this one to me didn't – it lacked that. It didn't have it. It was almost presented as though we have carte blanche to do whatever we want. We're making a movie here. Well, you lost me. You lost me almost instantly in this one as you're chopping people up with axes. And <laughs> it's similar with Lucha Underground where they went too far with this stuff. And – they turned a lot of people off, and I think that's why Lucha Underground's also in the state it's in, that it was novel for a time, and people kind of just wore out, wore out of it. And it's, it's not – you don't hear much about Lucha Underground at all now. And this, this is impact taking from something that has – we've seen. We've seen the evidence of this not working for a company, and they're going full steam into it uh, with this. So I, I kind of am reserving any kind of optimism for this. But hey – Rosemary was back, the the waiting of Impact Wrestling. <laughs> yeah, this felt very much like whereas the Broken Hardys had a bit of a, a knowing charm to it. This was like the producers at Impact were trying to reboot Buffy. And, you know, you don't have Josh Whedon uh, on the staff. So I, I I give them credit, I guess, for trying something different, John. But this just didn't work for me. Allie, the bridesmaid slayer. <laughs> so following that. Uh, Josh and Don announced that the next Impact pay-per-view is going to be January the 6th at the Nashville Fairgrounds, mm. the asylum for a show called Homecoming. A terrible name for a pay-per-view. I don't like the name, but I'm very happy, Nate, that I don't have to wait until April to do another show with you. Yeah, that's that's, that's the silver lining here, and, and uh, I, I guess... Who knows? Maybe they're trying to get some of that uh, MCU rub, John. Uh, you know, Spider-Man Homecoming was a success, so maybe Impact Homecoming can can be a success as well. Maybe they can find some way to book 
Tom Holland on the show. <laughs> Picture Allie in her demonic voice challenging Sue Young to a showdown at Homecoming. <laughs> oh, maybe we get a Homecoming dance, though. Maybe that's that's the next uh, iteration of the story where where we find out that Allie and Sue Young actually were friends uh, before Sue Young died, and Sue Young wants to exact her revenge at the Homecoming dance for some what- reason. What do you think is the magic number for pay-per-views that you would like to see Impact put out in 2019? It looks like minimum four. Do you see them doing any more than that next year? Or should they? I don't think they should. Unless they start getting super profitable. Uh, I think four is a good number, not only for... You know, the, the audience that's going to pay for these shows, you know, 50 bucks at a time for our uh, friends to the north. Uh, but also in terms of storytelling, I think it's a good length when done right, like we saw with Slammiversary, to really tell some engaging stories that culminate in this event. So, yeah, I, I would stick with four unless they're starting to generate a, a ton of profit off of these shows. I'm really glad they didn't go too crazy and make this a Wednesday night pay-per-view. <laughs> Probably would have been a mistake. McKenzie interviewed Johnny Impact, who called Austin Aries delusional. He stated it's an insult when Aries says that he carries this company. Aries buries himself, and he added that Aries is a short, narcissistic asshole. You ready for this big main event of the dueling, swearing main eventers? <laughs> Austin Aries, Johnny Impact for the Impact title. Josh Matthews. He could not have outlined Johnny Impact as more unlikable than this introduction as he walked out. He said, Johnny Impact is a star. He walks into a room and everyone looks at him. It's okay to want to be Johnny Impact because everyone else does too. <laughs> God, could you, could you possibly make this guy more unlikable to me at home? <laughs> and that to me is the, the, the puzzle that is Johnny Impact because you watch this guy bell to bell and it just it just screams babyface like how can you boo this guy and yet he opens his mouth and i just say how can you cheer this guy mm. like, he's such a heel when he speaks like he just has that that cockiness about him that his athleticism though offsets and i think to this day the the best representation of johnny impact has been as a heel in lucha underground is johnny mundo with the worldwide underground where they yeah. worked around his promos. They were, it was also, you know, very heavily produced segments in the back with him on scenes and stuff where I thought he really came across well. And it just seems every other company has not been able to get the formula right with this guy is impact doing it for you. Not really. And I think it's because, you know, he, he's excellent in the excellent in the ring, uh, excellent bell to bell, but with the character, he feels, and I'm glad, you know, we, we kind of hit that tangent on Homecoming and Spider-Man because he feels to me like uh, not the Tom Holland Spider-Man or the Tobey Maguire Spider-Man, but the Andrew Garfield Spider-Man, mm-hmm. where Peter Parker was just too damn cool to be sympathetic. And if you want me to connect with uh, Johnny Impact as a babyface, like, I feel there needs to be some realism to the character, whereas now he feels just like, you know, Mr. Too Cool for School. And it doesn't help that, A, I think he works better as a heel, but B, his wife, who you now have involved in the storyline, I think she works better as a heel, too. Agreed. 
And so, you know, you've got me trying to cheer for two unlikable people and it doesn't work, particularly when I really like Austin Aries as, as a bad guy. And so I'm inclined to cheer for him more than I am to cheer for the baby faces in this situation. The announcer introduced Johnny. Did you recognize this ring announcer? I've never seen him before. I did not. I know he was he was trying to get his uh his camera time in though. He introduced Johnny from Slam City. <laughs> and the best thing Johnny did in this whole match was correct him and make him say Slam Town. <laughs> the two are trading words as the audience starts chanting two oh five, which <laughs> not a compliment in two thousand eighteen. Uh impact leap from the floor. I hate the Johnny Impact name, by the way. I just hate it. I can't stand it. Anything but Johnny Impact would be wonderful. Johnny Asylum, Johnny Anthem, Johnny Owl, anything but Johnny <laughs> Impact. He lands on the apron. He's on the floor. He leaps into the air, and his feet land on the guardrail and the apron, and there's like a millimeter in between them. So it's amazing he got up here. And then Ares goes under, and then he moonsaults onto them. This looks spectacular. Yeah. Aries then took control in the ring. He starts working over the neck of Johnny Impact, which has been uh, his neck has been a big issue going into this show from the attack on television this past week and the the story they've been telling. Aries stopped an initial Spanish fly, but then later uh, Impact was able to hit it for a two count. Callus compared their feud to Brett and Sean from 1997 leading into the Survivor Series. <laughs> and they had a finish that was almost as frustrating. Aries then lifted Impact, hit a Death Valley driver onto the edge of the apron, onto his injured neck, and he followed with a 450 splash. Impact kicked out. Impact makes his comeback. He hits Starship Pain. Aries grabbed the bottom rope, and then Aries fires up with a discus elbow, running dropkick, and a brain buster onto the bad neck. Impact gets his foot onto the bottom rope, and then Aries kicks out of a backslide. He's landing knees. Goes for the last chancery, but again, Impact gets to the rope. I thought they kind of overdid it on the rope breaks. It's like, to yeah. me, do do one great rope break. Don't do, like, four of them. It just, to me, it's you, you get one out of those, and then it's sort of diminishing returns. Aries then took out Taya on the floor, and the audience reacted big to this. And Impact went after Aries. Impact hits his own brain buster and then hits the Starship Pain to pin Aries in 21 minutes. So Impact wins the title. But the focus is Ares, who immediately <laughs> stands up. This was uh, his thank you, Bookerman uh, moment as he just <laughs> screamed at the crowd, walked to the back, no selling the finish. I hated this. Yeah. And Impact just holds up the title, celebrates with Taya, and they go off the air in pretty quick fashion. This was not your big championship celebration. It was kind of just, you know, your quick hero shot in the ring. And that was it. It was like a minute of post-match. And everyone's attention was diverted to Ares and wondering what, what was up with this finish. And, you know, I I haven't asked about this. I, I don't know. But it just struck me as like they're doing this Ares versus management deal that I just grown at this stuff in 2018. I didn't like it at all. And I think that they really fell in love with this this Twitter idea they came up with that got them on TMZ. And they just want to push this realism button and try to get pe- like trying to work people into this being legit. And this is all the stuff I hated with Russo. And I was really disappointed they went this route, especially on their big show where it just is one of those, you know, screaming in the corner to get attention. Like, look at me. Look at what we're doing and getting trying to get people to talk. And 
to me, it, it's not positive talk doing this kind of an angle. I didn't like it. No, I think that, you know, what, what, what this match was about 20 minutes, John. 21, yeah. 21, okay. So I would say out of those 21 minutes, I enjoyed probably, you know, 15 to 17 minutes of it. Uh, but the last bit of it, I was not a fan of uh, for a couple reasons. Uh, you already mentioned, you know, we're, we're kind of doing the, the uh, work shoot deal at the end, which didn't make a whole lot of sense to me, particularly since uh, Aries is supposed to be the heel. And it, it just, where's the sympathy to be garnered for that? But the other thing is, you know, you talked earlier about, connecting to Johnny Impact as a babyface. And there was a moment that really turned me off from him as a babyface, and that was after Aries took out Taya. And you mentioned how the crowd reacted. It was a big reaction. Yes. One of the biggest, maybe the biggest of the match. Yes. And it was certainly bigger than her husband's reaction <laughs> because he did not stop for one second. He, he gave a glancing look to his wife and then proceeded to get back to the match with, with Austin Aries. And I felt that in that moment, the character of Johnny Nitro or John, Johnny Nitro problem with these damn names, Johnny impact, Johnny impact should have stopped and, and attended to his wife first before attacking Aries. And so that like that little detail, it's like, "Mm, I I don't really care if you win the title or not, because you just showed me in that instance that, you know, you're not, you're not the hero I should be cheering for. And again, this could have been going off the air with that LAX match. Or if you still wanted to have your title match going last, this could have been Moose finally beating the odds and getting that big win over Aries in New York, which I think would have gotten a bigger reaction than the uh, Johnny Impact win did. So, you know, nothing against the two men involved in the match. I think they're both excellent in the ring. I have a lot of respect for them. But from a storytelling standpoint, this felt flat going off the air, which is not the reaction you want to have from your fans, uh, you know, for what is ostensibly your biggest show of the year, what is ostensibly your WrestleMania, your Starcade. You don't want people turning off the pay-per-view going, yeah, that was okay. Yeah, it to me, Johnny Impact wasn't all that hot going into this match. I don't I don't really feel him as the top babyface champion. Uh, so I wasn't a big fan of the outcome. I didn't like the finish. The match was good, but it never to me got great. Um, they kind of, there were times when they were kind of flirting with, with that level, but to me, they, they never hit it. And I had pretty high expectations for this match. Like I wasn't crazy about the build, but I thought the match would be really something. And I can't say it was that. Uh, wasn't the best match on the show. Wasn't the worst match on the show. No. Uh, d- definitely not. But uh, to me, it was, I-, I would say it was maybe right at right below your expectation level. It, it w- didn't meet mine. Uh, so I was kind of disappointed uh, with this. And I guess that kind of sums up Bound for Glory for me. I liked mm. various things on the show, but I don't think I loved anything on this show. The women's match to me was my biggest kind of that really stuck with me because I didn't go in with huge expectations and they vastly over delivered for me. So I, I did enjoy the, the OVE Sammy Callahan match with cage Pentagon and Phoenix uh, and, and the women's match were kind of my two high points uh, of the show. Yeah. I like those two matches. I also like the opener uh, with yes. Willie Mack and uh, Rich Swan versus uh, Matt Seidel and uh, Ethan page. Uh, I enjoyed, uh, what else did I enjoy? I, oh, the LAX match, which, Again, yeah, yeah, that, that worked main as event. well too. Yes. Uh, so I, I would say overall, John, there were there was more to like on this show than to dislike. But the stuff that I disliked 
whether it be the finish of the main event or the alley segment, I really disliked. Yeah, I, I can't say anything on this show where it was blow away great. I can't go higher than thumbs in the middle. That's kind of where I, I'm. I think that's the highest I can go on this. Do you go higher, Mister uh, Comda.com? <laughs> well, let me give my official Comda.com rating, John Pollock. Uh, I, I think on Slammiversary, if I'm remembering right, I gave it an eight out of ten. Yep, that's uh, right. I, and I really enjoyed that show. Still, to me, one of the better offerings from Impact. Uh, in recent memory, Definitely. this was not that. This was, you know, this is certainly not as bad as Impact has been over the past five years. You know, the the, the depths that Impact has gone to. What a qualifier, Nate. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> as they were flirting with death, there was better stuff. <laughs> you know, they weren't on their deathbed. They just had a case of the sniffles here. Uh, so to me, I would say this is still a passing uh, show for me. But it's not a A or a B. I'm going to give it a C. So I'm going to give it. I'm going to give it a six out of ten. Of the, the, the traditional Comda.com Nate Milton rating. Well, people don't care what we're rating it. Let's go to the forum and see what they did on a scale of one to twenty. Big pay per view uh, range here. They gave this a fifteen point two five. Wow. Okay. That's a pretty strong rating from our typically harsh forum. So let's go through uh, some of the feedback here that was sent in. Tyler from Orlando writes, this was a decent show for me, although I thought Slammiversary was a bit better. The women's match was a surprise to me. I really enjoyed that. The Allie and Sue Young stuff is out there, but it gets a chuckle out of me. The loose boards during the LAX match scared the shit out of me. Poor ref was trying to fix it the best he could. I think it was a mistake taking the title off Aries for Johnny Impact. What was with that ending? Most of the chat room said that something was throwing at Aries, so that's why he got up and left. But still, you shouldn't no-sell a dude's finisher and your title loss like that. I thought maybe he was yelling at Callus for dropping the title or something. <laughs> I, I can't imagine that would be the issue. He did definitely yell up there. And, yeah. uh I get. I, did you see anything thrown? I didn't notice anything. I guess there's there's always the possibility of that. Uh, it just seemed to me that this was... Uh, you know, regardless, I didn't see anything, something, but I, I don't that see doesn't mean just, that it didn't happen. But yeah, it, it it just felt weird. Yeah. So with Aries. Yeah, we definitely saw him like yell into the crowd. I guess some people were pointing out that he was yelling at uh, Don Callis. So, I, I mean, it, it screams angle to me. <sighs> An angle I'm not looking forward to. Next up here, killer show. I haven't watched since Slammiversary, but they still impressed. The LAX match was uncomfortable, but everything felt brutal. The women killed it, and the campy video felt well-placed <laughs> with it being around Halloween. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Penta match was nonstop fun. The main was way better than expected. Wonder how much of that was shoot, especially with the end, or if that's what they wanted us to think. Either way, impressed. Are you a fan of horror movies, John? I do like horror movies a lot. Okay, see, because I'm not. like I, I, I can take them or leave them, but I thought maybe, because you know, we've had a couple people say that they... They enjoyed it. So I, I was thinking maybe it's because I'm not too keen on horror movies. But if you enjoy them and you didn't get that same kind of enjoyment out of that segment, then maybe maybe it's not us. <laughs> what I do like, though, is uh, when I'm watching a basketball game that they don't start playing baseball in the middle of it mm. because I like both individually. But I don't like when I'm watching one and they try to force themselves to be something they're not. So you're not a fan of basketball. <laughs> is what well, you're saying. No, but I did pay my $6.75 <laughs> in 1998 to watch that at the Eaton Center Movie Theater. Jazz from Australia writes, uh, I don't believe it's the jazz, but 
Ajaz from Australia. At first, I was hesitant to put down money for this event because while the announced matches seemed great, the build has been lacking and I was not that excited. Coming out of the show, I was pleased and thought I got my money's worth, with the exception of the overproduced Alley segment. I thought all the matches delivered, with the two main title matches being the standouts, and at least gave people something to talk about coming out of the main event. Not sure how much of the Austin Impact feud was a shoot, but I'm at least intrigued as to the direction of the company going forward. Two thumbs up from me. So at least from some, they're very curious by this finish in the main event. Uh, I don't know. It got a groan out of me, but I am a comda.com glass half empty type of person. <laughs> so maybe I am uh, in the minority. All right. Brandon from Tyler, Texas. He is uh, weighed in on every single match here. I'm only going to go through a few here because uh, brother Nate cannot uh, stick around. He's got his, uh, his comda.com sleep to catch up on. Um, LAX. Versus the OGs, fun match, nowhere close to their anniversary match, brutal match, but with the limited amount of time, they never really got the opportunity to top their first match, unfortunately. Sue Young and Allie was corny as hell, but entertaining at the same time. <laughs> I could not take my eyes off the TV, but that doesn't necessarily mean I want to see it again. I love the main event. Aries and Impact did a very stiff match that was different than any match I've seen in a long time, where you truly get the impression that these guys hate each other's guts. See, I can tell that's what they were going for, Nate, but to me, it was like the... The combination of the promos and especially Matthews and Callis trying to push it as real that yes. just took the real uh, you you couldn't suspend your disbelief to me it was like we were trying so hard to hit you over the head that this was real and I don't think most bought this like even throughout the week uh, like I think everyone saw what this was you know the Hall of Fame segment I don't know if you saw that where they did the the pull apart it was a good angle it was probably the best thing they did building up this show but I think never did you were you able to blur that line that is very difficult to do and I think now they're just going to the extreme with this finish and compare that to the Eddie Edwards Sammy Callahan feud hitting in the slammiversary right. where that felt authentic even though you know we know it's not real but it felt authentic as opposed to this, where, you know, even the involvement of the TNZ stuff, it it doesn't make me believe any more that the, you know, any more strongly that this is something real that these two have going on. You know, it, it, it just feels like a performance. And these are two good performers, but they don't have me believing that this is something authentic. Two more here. Alexander Norway. Like many others, a very sporadic watcher of Impact, but the main event angle yesterday really caught my attention. Didn't necessarily like how they got there, but the rivalry had a good feeling for it going into the match. Otherwise, the concrete jungle match was interesting. The other realm match was interesting. It's 5 a.m., and I was staying up anyway, but a decent show. Because of life, this is my first post on the new forums, but have been a loyal fan since day one. Happy to hear Nate again. So there you go. You're big in Norway, Nate. Oh, well, thank you, Alexander. And, and don't forget to uh, thank Comda.com for uh, facilitating this appearance. Well, you're going to like this last piece of feedback. Jalen from Pickering. <laughs> Matt Hardy may have opened the gates of wrestling hell by making those deletion videos. Good, because clearly no one else can. Still a good show, but hashtag BFG Comda was not at the level of Slammiversary. <laughs> I feel like Impact basically needs to be like NXT. Solid TV that feels different than WWE, and then kick-ass pay-per-views that get the wrestling world buzzing. Not a fan of Johnny winning the title, especially because he's not much of a promo. I'm not sure if Aries no-selling after the loss with some crappy meta angle, or just him being genuinely angry for some reason. Either way, I'm not into it. I think the main reason people are like skeptical of this being an angle is because it's Austin Aries that they can totally buy uh, losing his losing his cool in the middle yes. of the match, and 
again, we're coming on this just moments after the show. So, uh, for all we know, that's possible. But, I mean, to me, the promo was kind of the giveaway, bringing up impact management. And just if you've been following this week with how they've been pushing this feud and trying to get the realism across, that seems like the kind of finish that they would it would be the next logical step. So it really does scream angle to me that they're going this direction. And I think that that's a reaction to numbers that have been going down and they want to do something that's they believe is going to elicit buzz. And maybe they felt, hey, this, this Twitter thing that we cooked up got us on TMZ. So maybe this is the way we should be going. Yeah, and again, it's not the way I would have gone, and it sounds like not the way you would have gone. But the great thing about pro wrestling, John, is you always have a chance to course correct. So who knows? Maybe TV comes out this week, and this angle makes a lot more sense, and they blow it out of the park. But as of right now, you know, coming out for the heels of Bound for Glory, I am not particularly enthused with the uh, title program right now. I think that no one is coming out of this curious about what Johnny Impact is going to do on Impact. It's the Austin Aries follow-up, which to me would not be the goal of a major title change on your perceived biggest show of the year. So that was Bound for Glory. Uh, we're going to wrap things up. Before we go, though, Nate, I would be remiss. I know you you, you and Marcus chatted about this on uh, Kings of Sport, but uh, going into Raw Monday night, what is, your, what is your assumption of how this whole Crown Jewel event is going to shake out Oof. for the WWE? Let, let's end on a, on a loaded topic. Yeah. Oh, yes. And we did talk about it on this week's edition of the Kings of Sport, which also featured uh, a conversation about you, uh, Brother Pollock. Uh, oh, I've, I've downloaded the show. I have not listened yet. But you're, you're, Marcus and I commented, uh, you know, we had this fictional scenario where I put together a team of Ocean's Eleven operatives to replace Donald Trump with the animatronic Trump from the Disney Hall of Presidents. Of course. Uh, and you were the you were the Bernie Mac on my team. And that led Marcus and I down the tangent of uh, reliving that great Canadian classic, uh, J.O.P.O. So uh, we've, we've got that uh, discussion on the show this week. Uh, wait, a, wait a minute. Are you saying I'm going to die? <laughs> I mean, you. Well, what, I guess why you were the Bernie Mac is because, you know, you, you got the, the biting, sarcastic humor. Uh, I'll, I'll take it. Bernie Mac's a great compliment. And then Marcus, I think Marcus was uh, Clooney. I was Brad Pitt. And uh, I think Brian Mann was Matt Damon because he'd be the one that, that would be reckless and almost ruin the heist. And Brett Kavanaugh, I guess, would be his uh, – he could play <laughs> a great Brett Kavanaugh on Saturday Night Live. Yes, that too. His Brett uh, Kavanaugh was fantastic. The Matt Damon version? Yeah, I, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it because I also like beer, John Pollock. <laughs> uh, <sighs> we're getting, getting bad. We, we do detour it away there from yes. Crown Jewel. I mean – do you feel this show is going to happen November 2nd in in uh, Riyadh in Saudi Arabia? I think so. I as I, as I said on the on the Kings of Sport, like I, I I'm not a fan of this. I'm not a fan of the the deal uh in and of itself. I was not a fan of Greatest Royal Rumble. Uh and this is even worse cuz we're now not just talking about uh you know the women not being allowed to compete, but now we're talking about you know the government allegedly being involved in, in the death of, of a man. And it it's it's a sticky situation when, when you got a company that 
makes a deal with a government of any country. You know, I don't want to make this germane to Saudi Arabia because, you know, if the WWE made a deal with our current administration, there could be some conflicts of interest and some sticky situations. Uh, well, but I think th- about this, Nate. I mean, think of uh, a scenario where it would be like the Russian government spent all this money for the WWE to go mm. to Russia and yep. endorse the Russian government on their programming when you have all of the intelligence agencies that have outlined what involvement they had in the 2016 election, what that response would be like. And I think that's where people kind of, you know, most people at this point, like I I think it was much more mixed going into the first show. Like people know how I, I felt about it, but I definitely had resistance from others that didn't see the big problem. I think that's a much less number this time around because I think this is really open people's eyes to a lot uh, beyond just this story of what goes on in Saudi Arabia with their government. And the fact that this is not just the WWE going to Saudi Arabia and running a show, uh, going to any country and just running a one-off show. It's the fact that why are they going there? It's because of this deal. And what are they mm-hmm. spending for? And it's been suggested to me, well, what if they just went, did this show and didn't air it on the WWE network and didn't promote it? It was like, you're missing the whole point that is not what they are spending this money for. They are not spending money to bring live entertainment. They are bringing this company to their country to export it onto their onto their network and sell Saudi Arabia. And it's yep. changing ways. And that's that is what this is. They are paying for an extremely expensive public relations tool that is the WWE, who are willing to play that role. And it's it's a situation that is super sticky. And, and I I was actually surprised that we had, you know, members of Congress actually speak out on this. And that to me makes it a much bigger deal than and no offense, John, but makes it a much bigger deal than just journalists talking about it. Mm-hmm. Because now you've got our government involved. And I never thought I'd see the day where Lindsey Graham and I would be on a similar side of an argument, but you know, you should not do this deal. You know, you, in, in good conscience and good faith, you should back out. But I don't think they will. And I think they're going to follow through on this. I don't think they're going to promote it as heavily, but they're not going to they're not going to back out of this. I think it ultimately comes down to because like Donald Trump has he, he has condemned the act, but he is yes. not putting his foot down regarding, you know, you know, putting a sanction on the the arms deal with Saudi Arabia. It seems to me if he keeps that tact where he's kind of dancing this line that I think it's it ultimately I feel is going to go right to the top that if Donald Trump were to come out tomorrow and suddenly be steadfast against any of this and condemn it, uh, I think that almost puts them into a corner where you will come off so badly doing this and I guess the trade-off as well, like you have to think the WWE is thinking about this from all angles going to this, to do this show. What does that do for our reputation versus how does that affect our stock price? Is there going to be such an outrage of us doing this show in the aftermath of it as well, that there's going to be repercussions for us financially conversely pulling out what is the financial hit going to be? Will there be people Mm. that look at suddenly you're giving up all of this money what it what is that going to do to our stock? And it's a gross way to look at real life conflict and issues like this. But that is the prism of which they are viewing this decision by is ultimately it's a financial one. What is going to 
affect us least. And I think that they're willing to to take their shots in the public. And if their image takes a minor hit, the belief that people will get over this and it's an extraordinary deal for us, even if it's a ethically bankrupt one. And the thing is, they're right. You know, people will eventually forget about this. You know, the the fervor around this issue will die down until next year. And that's that's the other problem with this 10 year deal is every year there's going to be something. Yeah, that's the reality of things is that this is not going to be an isolated incident. You're right. Like there's going to be more conflict and ethical issues that you're going to have to maneuver. And they can only look at themselves like you knew what you were getting into business with for the next decade. And it's a major test. I, I thought when the, the senators spoke out on Friday, I thought this show can't go forward. I thought it was going to get announced over the weekend that they would not be going forward with it. So I'm, I'm somewhat surprised that they are still, it seems like they are just, attempting to maneuver and go forward. And I think ultimately they had to decide before tomorrow's episode of raw of how, like if they were going to make a decision, I think they had to make it this weekend. Um, real, real quick though, John, and cause this is something Marcus and I talked about again, um, you know, in terms of you and way, uh, obviously you're going to cover this thing, you know, as, as part of your responsibility as, as journalists. But if you didn't have to cover it for the post wrestling network, would this be a show that you would watch? Because I'm kind of on the fence. Like I, I think that this I, I is something not. where, yeah, I'd, I'd have a bad taste in my taste in my mouth. I'd I'd have a bad feeling in my stomach watching this show, knowing the real world issues surrounding it. Uh, absolutely, I would not be watching this. I didn't enjoy the Greatest Royal Rumble. That was not a show I enjoyed, um, just because I understood what it was. And I just I can't turn that part of my brain off and just watch a wrestling show. And I won't be doing that for this one either. Um, you know, Wayne and I have even discussed like how we're going to do this show because th- there's definitely, um, yeah, I could say 100% if I if this was not my my job, and I do feel sometimes you you do have to cover things that are uncomfortable, and there is news value in this show. It yeah. has nothing to do with the matches, but there is like I think it would be irresponsible not to at least cover what it, what takes place here. I mean, whether you have a disagreement or not with the decision to go there it's newsworthy it's arguably the most newsworthy show they're going to do this year because of the ramifications of doing such a show and it's it, obviously there's money involved but all money is not good money and what's the ultimate hit like i don't know because wrestling fans talk a big game uh and you know i'm, I'm being one of them uh but for everybody that says they're going to cancel the network or not watch WWE anymore, we'll see how that holds up when WrestleMania season rolls around. Because chances are the people that, that walk away will walk right back. And I think that's what Vince and the WWE are counting on is that, yeah, we might take a a temporary hit with our image among our fans and, and among the general public. But ultimately, it's not going to hurt our bottom line. And that's what's most important to us. I don't think the fan base is of any concern to them. I think you're right. I don't think they worry at all about, even if they upset that audience, I don't think they're worried about it at all. I think they look at it from political pressure, sponsorship pressure. Those yeah. are, those are kind of the, the buttons that affect. And honestly, them. I if think that, that's the only thing the sponsors, you know, you, we saw it happen uh, on a lesser scale with the, with Snickers, with the fabulous Mulo. Like, I think that's the only thing that, that could, 
get them to, to course correct here. But other than that, man, or other than Trump stepping in and, and talking to his buddy Vince, I, I see them going uh, maybe not full speed ahead with this, but certainly moving forward uh, with this show. I think they should honestly have – you just don't know what further is going to come out. I mean, if, if there is, in fact, video and audio evidence that is made public, mm. that's tough. I don't know how you possibly justify it at that point. Um, and that's what the Turkish intelligence has stated they have. That has not been released. Uh, but it, if it does, I, I mean, it all, de- it all depends on what the temperature is uh, of this story and if it intensifies because it, it got to a pretty feverish pitch, I think, on Friday. So this weekend or this week coming up, I, I think that I, I can't, you can't guarantee either way. I think if this, this show happens or not, because it may grow into something even larger than it is now. Or it may it maybe, you know, another story is going to take it over in the news cycle. And this is going to become yeah. uh, a background issue. And several weeks from now, it's people are aware of it, but it's not front of mind and the pressure is alleviated wwe goes and does their show yeah well definitely speaking from uh an american standpoint i think this story has the potential to be swallowed up in in the coming weeks just because of the midterms coming up yep and that's going to be the big front of 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 mind story for you know your cnn's your your fox news your msnbc's that's going to be the big story and this unfortunately is something that could get shuffled to you know the the c block on a nightly show well it is a story we will be following so i want to thank nate very much uh, for joining us Uh, before we go nate i do want to give you the floor to let us all know about the latest kings of sport and anything else you've got uh going on because the post office can't get enough of Nate Milton. We always love when we can have you on the show. Yes. Uh, well, I, I want to thank you for uh, having me on. I enjoy our little uh, impact uh, powwows, John. Uh, we got the so homecoming I, now in, in a couple yes, of months. So uh, I will send you a uh, corsage through com since you'll be my homecoming date. I'll, I'll rent the limo. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, uh, as John mentioned, you can check me out uh, in a – multitude of shows uh, of course the kings of sport with myself and marcus vandenberg got a new episode out this week uh talking uh the major league baseball playoffs talking the nfl uh talking about the crown jewel show talking about kanye in the white house uh talking about uh you know khabib and connor so we we got a lot of stuff oh, and of course we're talking about the the greatest uh canadian lyricist this side of drake uh one john pollock of course uh, <laughs> on this week's edition of the kings of sport uh you can also check me out on a uh, place to be nation's main event uh bi-weekly uh what else do i have i've got uh oh uh always forward which uh is going to come back with with new episodes of following season two of marvel's luke cage eventually uh i've just been busy with work and uh so Ephraim and i will have to reconvene on that but the latest edition of the show which came out maybe a month ago uh is myself and my niece my oldest niece uh reviewing marvel's cloak and dagger so if, if you enjoyed that show you can check that out uh and of course you can always find me on twitter at in the number eight m-o-z-a-i-k at nate mosaic uh so yeah that's that's where you can find me when i'm not here uh at the post office with uh my, my brother john pollock well, you've always got a seat here, Nate, whenever you want to fill it. So we thank you very much for joining us. It's not, now I've got to clean my house from this, this mess way made. <laughs>
<laughs> the the 20% positivity <laughs> that Wei Ting brings to any situation. So Wei and I will be back Monday night with Rewind to Raw. So you can tune into that at postwrestling.com. Thank you to everyone for joining us. And thank you to Nate Milton as well.